Lord's been putting in my, I uh, just see a lot of discouragement in the body of Christ now around the world. And, and, and uh, the title of the message this morning is, Now What? Now What? I think there's a lot of disappointment in the body and some events have happened that I don't think that, that we have a good understanding of. But uh, I'm taken to Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 13 through 18. And I think this begins our now what answer to our question. I would like to read this scripture if you'd stand for the reading of the word with me. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word. And I thank you that you are on the throne, that you're worthy, that you can unfold the scroll, that you have earned the right to be the king and you are the king. And nothing happens, Lord, that you don't make right. Nothing happens that you can't overcome. Nothing happens, God, that doesn't fit in some bizarre way into your will because your will will be done. And there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And we thank you for that and we praise you. And we ask you to anoint this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13. The Lord said, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet then you say, well, what have we spoken against you? And the Lord says, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked in as his mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed all of a sudden. And those who do wickedness have been raised up. And they even tempt God. And they go free. And then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and he heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, and on the day that I make them jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. God told me, he said, watch what you say. In this time of trial and discouragement and disillusionment, you need to take authority over your speech. You need to take authority over your mouth. And you need to be, he says, it says in this time, this is what the Lord showed me. In this time of discouragement, when the wicked have been raised up, and we all feel like, you know, so where did our prayers go? What happened there? Where, how did that work? That the Lord listens to hear what we say to each other. And what we say to each other, if it's encouraging or is it discouraging? Is it filled with faith or is it filled with fear? Is it filled with the promise of tomorrow or is it just gloom and doom and regretting the past? Which is it? The Lord is listening and he's writing a book. This whole revelation of, 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 of Dr. Uh, uh, Robert, whatever his name is, Henderson, thank you. I've been working on the room out here till forever. I don't even I couldn't even get a key lock assembly apart so I could put it in the doors. I got my brain is so far I tried, but Dr. Henderson came, he said, These books are important. And your name, he's specifically right now, specifically right now, he's writing out a book. The book of remembrance. How did you react? How did you react when everything went the opposite way that you thought it was gonna go? Because he said, those that react with faith, those that react with confidence, those that say, I don't care what I see, I believe what I know in my spirit. Those, those I will spare when the judgment comes. Those will be like jewels to me. 
Those are the ones who will see the righteous reign again and see the wicked dealt with. That's what he's saying in this passage. And so I want to talk about, the Lord gave me this word about the remains of the Trump effect. And, and I want to get this behind us, but I feel like I need to make a statement of where I am on this. And you can agree with it or not agree with it, and that's okay. <laughs> it's immaterial to me. I just think I need to tell you what I, what I believe. And I believe that Trump was called. I think that he was selected by God. I'm a Trump protagonist. That means, I, uh, that means not only did I vote for him, I gave him money. I believe in him. I believe in what God called him to do. I believe in the Make America Again movement. I believe that our politicians sold us out to foreign nations and we, off, we, we shipped. Nobody cares about the working man. Everybody Can't everybody be high tech? Come on, somebody. We need to have working people and, and, and they need to have jobs and they need to have opportunities and they need to have opportunities to educate their kids and do all those things. And, we, and we've exported all of these jobs and, and I believe in that. I believe in the whole movement. I was a little uncomfortable with his spiritual condition, but, you know, he's just a baby Christian. He's not, that's not the reason that he was selected by God. I understand his serious flaws, but everybody has serious flaws. Can I get a witness out of somebody? If you only could use a perfect man, who would it be? Would it be you? <laughs> no. Roger said, well, it could be me, maybe. Uh, and Marianne go, no, it wouldn't be you. Everybody has flaws, and so, and he has them. But I believe history will show that his foreign policy was the greatest accomplishment of any president in U.S. history because he brought peace to the Middle East. You know there's not been peace to the Middle, in the Middle East in my lifetime, and I'm nearly 70 years old. He, the Abraham Accord will go down as one of the greatest uh, uh, foreign policy accomplishments where the, 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 and, and, and the and bless the left, I love them, but they don't even know what the main name means. The sons of Abraham. You got to know the Bible to know what that means. That means that the, that the, that the Muslims are also descendants of Abraham. Did you know that? Do you understand that? From Ishmael, the son of Hagar. You remember that whole story? And that they acknowledge that they and the Jews are both descendants out of the same out of the same tree, even though they've been mortal enemies all these years. And they said it's time for us to start to, to bring peace to our community. And they begin to he signed these accords, and all of these Arab nations are now, you know, I've always wondered in this Ezekiel 38 uh, 39 war, it says that Israel was at peace and there were no walls, no borders. In other words, they were totally not worried about their there, and, I, and, and two years ago, I well, how can that happen? When, you know, they have, they have neighbors that threaten to kill them and bomb them every day. Well, we see how that can happen. Now those same neighbors have, because of President Trump, have entered into a peace accord with Israel. And the, and the, and the future for the Middle East appears to be extremely bright. I think, I think it's his greatest accomplishment. I think it's the greatest foreign policy accomplishment in the history of the office. But I want to remind you something. He was not called for his piety. See, this is a part we have to work through. He was not called for his piety. If you know the story, he's a modern-day Cyrus who was a king of Persia. Remember the prophets of the word from Lance Wallnow who came to him, and he read out, the, he said, you're going to be the 45th president, so I'm reading, out of you out of, reading to you out of Isaiah 45. And it was a story of 
Cyrus, a king of Persia that would be raised up in the future. And it was, and, and Isaiah spoke these words a hundred years before they happened. And can I say something? The number one problem we have interpreting prophets today is our time calibration is always off. We immediately think it's for now. Isaiah spoke this word and everybody looked at him like a calf staring at a new gate. They had no idea who he was talking about. And it took a hundred years for it to come to pass. But in the prophecy, he says in Isaiah 45 verse 3, <clears throat> that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name and the God of Israel. So do you know that and understand that? Check this out. I have predicted history from the beginning and it's come to pass. He says, for my Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. And the, and the prophecy includes the name Cyrus. And I have named you, though you have not known me. In other words, Cyrus was not saved. He was not a Christian. He was not a Jew. He was a lost uh, king who, who, who ruled, you know, with an iron fist. But God said, and, the, and so when he became king over Persia, where all of the Jews lived that had been from the exile, where the Babylonian Empire had driven them off of, out of Jerusalem, and they were in exile in the territories of Babylon that became conquered by the Persians, and he became lord over that, the rabbis all gathered up and grabbed up the skull scrolls from Isaiah and said, can we have an appointment with you? We would like to show you something. Okay, bring them in. And they rolled these scrolls of Isaiah out before him and said, this was written a hundred years before you were born. And God called you by your name. And your name was Cyrus. And he said, I've selected you to alleviate the oppression from my people. And he was so impressed with that, he did just that. Now, I want to point out to you that, that, that Cyrus never became a Jew. He didn't convert. He just realized that God had called him out of history for this purpose, and he did what God called him to do. Trump was, 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 was spoken by the great prophet Kim Clement years and years. What was it? Was it 2004 or five or something? It was years and years before the election. He was called, I called you by your name. And Lance Well now went into Trump Tower and they had a meeting and he read him this scripture and he said, God has called you by your name before you even considered doing anything like this, and he's appointed you to alleviate the oppression off of God's people. Whether he's saved or not don't matter. Come on, somebody. He's been called by God and was placed in there, and I love what Franklin Graham said about this issue. They said, will he win the election? He said, he will if God wants him to. <laughs> we don't worship Donald Trump. We worship Jesus Christ because he's still on the throne. Can I get a witness out of somebody? And he's still working. But he was appointed not because of he was a pious, a mature discipline of Christ. He was appointed because he's a political correctness wrecking ball. And they hate him. And he likes that. And that's why God put him in. He had the right temperament. Come on. Amen. Now, was his mission done there? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that, that just like Cyrus, he was a modern-day Cyrus, and he had a tremendous impact on our nation in a positive way. Now, the events of two weeks ago really damaged his reputation. I just want to point out something to you. I know personally thousands, I don't know, I know, I know personally people who were in that crowd, okay? They were in the crowd that showed up for the 
for the, for the rally. And you know where they were whenever they were storming the Capitol building? They were praying in front of the Supreme Court. They were praying at various strategic locations in groups. The anointing was there. They said the anointing was unbelievable. Terrence's dad was there. They, were, they said it was unbelievable, the anointing of God that was there. And, and when they heard all the commotion, it took them a long time to figure out that somebody was actually trying to crash into the Capitol building. That was not our crowd. Those are not our people. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Somebody says they're Antifa. Somebody says, I don't know who they are, and I don't care. <coughs> I know they weren't sent there by God. Our people were praying. They were praying for the nation, praying for the president. They were praying, and the anointing was there. And it was, it was a memorable thing. <coughs> Excuse me. But the enemy turned it. I think, I think Trump may have stepped into a political trap. I don't know. I don't know about any of that. But here's what I know is my great-grandpa, when his dog started killing chickens, his chickens, he'd take that dead chicken and wrap him in a toe sack. And he'd tie that toe sack around that dog's neck and make him carry that rotten, stinking thing for, like, forever to where none of us could stand to smell the dog anymore. And then he would take it off his neck, and that dog didn't kill no chickens anymore. And I'll just tell you, the media is going to try to make Donald Trump wear this on his neck like a dead chicken. Amen? They're using it to... Whatever, whatever politics do, I don't really care about that. But here's what I want you to understand. There are a couple of things, I think, that were strategic, errors that were made. Number one is the flesh profits nothing. There was a time when Jesus was being resisted by all the political forces in Israel. And he had people that were starting to doubt him. And he had people that were quitting and people that were leaving. And they wanted to string him up and they wanted to get rid of him. And he was a political threat. Jesus was primarily crucified by a political spirit. He was a great political threat. And in John chapter 6, they were starting to mutiny. There was a lot of activity and rioting around him wherever he would go. And in John chapter 6, verse 63, he told his disciples, it's the spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words he spoke were spiritual. Not to pay any attention to what all the flesh was going and going on around him. And I've said this a million times, and I want to go on the record again and say, in order for us to fight this conflict and win the conflict for the heart of America, we're going to have to stay out of the flesh. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Second Chronicles 10, 3 through 5 says, Well, we walk in the flesh. We don't war according to the flesh. For our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for coming against strongholds. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Taking captive our thoughts and making them obedient to Christ Jesus. The devil is always trying to lure you off of the, the place where you have authority. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have authority in the spirit. That's where you have authority. But if he can rule you out of the spirit, he'll rule you into the flesh, lure you into the flesh. And you'll have... I've, I've, I've just this experience of getting in the flesh I've had since we started this building project nearly every week. I, I get in the flesh. I don't do any good. I scream and shout a lot and throw things. Nobody cares. It doesn't make any difference. But when I go to these guys and I say, would you please, because I need this for my grandson to get married in this building, I need your help. So I approach it from the spiritual, see, and now all of a sudden everybody's working until 3 o'clock in the morning trying to get it done. If you stay in the spirit, you will be effective. Can I get a witness out of somebody? 
But if you get in the flesh, and we all have, and we all have one, and we all struggle with it, I understand that. Me as much as anybody. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit is where the life is. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, he said, Jesus said, or Paul said, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary to one another. So you don't do the things that you wish whenever you get into the flesh. The great, great disciple Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, these words and I'll never forget them. He said, when all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. When you go on this fast, the first thing your flesh does is say, are you kidding me? Three weeks. Three weeks and you can't eat bread for three weeks. Isn't that stupid? If bread was bad for you, don't you think that it wouldn't be on, God wouldn't have created it? He ate bread all the time. He even broke it and fed it to other people. And now you're telling me we can't eat bread for three weeks? Doesn't your flesh do that? What do you do whenever that flesh is trying to take over your body and tell you that you need to do something that you have said you won't do? You got to get in the word, amen? You got to get in the spirit. You got to get before God because it's the spirit that keeps you from getting in the flesh. If you're looking, what we're looking at now is the remains of Trump's ministry. And I think Trump got in the flesh a lot, but that was kind of his personality. So I, I, I'm not, we can't judge him. We don't judge him. It's, do you understand what I'm saying? We don't judge him as a brother. And, and he, was, he got saved in 2015, but he was an immature Christian. My God, and then throw him into that wolf's den. My goodness gracious. You think he would be any better than he was? I'd be, you know. So, so that's immaterial. That's not what's important. He served God's purpose at the time when he appointed Supreme Court justices and judges and all of the things to keep our nation hopefully from going completely over the, over the cliff in the areas of abortion, in the areas of, 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 of all of these crazy you know, things, and to protect the sanctity of marriage. My goodness, I just, we just had a ceremony in this, in this fellowship hall, and I talked about during the ceremony, this is God's way. This is God's way. And we have to return to that as a society or we're lost. If we don't sanctify life, if we don't, if we don't sanctify marriage, if we don't make those important elements in our society, if we can just kill babies at, at will and with no consequence, then what's to keep us from killing grown adults? Why should we have a consequence for that? There's no logic in their reasoning. It just doesn't make any sense. Life is holy. Marriage is holy. And two men can do whatever they want to do, I guess, but they can't get married. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Because it's a sacred, sacred, holy institution. It's not about red and blue. It's about the word. It's about the word. And he appointed judges that will help us walk that line and help us hopefully from going too far. But I want to talk to you about the remains of the Trump ministry. This is the other word that the Lord gave me. Elisha was a prophet. He was a great prophet. He was the successor of Elijah. And Elisha was doing cool stuff. He, he went to the dying king of Syria and released a great prophecy. And you remember he had to take the arrows and slap the ground and, and a bunch of weird stuff. Prophets are always having you do weird stuff because they want to see, you know, do you really want it or not? And, and so... Uh, you remember that part in Second Kings chapter thirteen, and and then it says it says in the next next paragraph says and then Elisha died. 
It just says he died. It just he died. He was doing cool stuff one day and he was dead the next. He just died. That's all it says. And so they buried him and they put him in a tomb. And years later they were doing a funeral in the same cemetery for a Moab for another guy. And the Moabites began to attack them. And so to get out of there, they just took the body of the dead man and they threw it in Elijah's tomb and they took off for the hills. Well, the anointing was still in the remains of Elijah. And whenever the body touched the bones of Elijah, he came alive and he stood to his feet. Because there was resurrection power in the anointing. And the anointing of the Trump effect is still in Trump's remains. And it may not be him, it may not be this guy, it may not be Pence, but there are all kinds of people who have been touched by the anointing that God put on him to change the direction of the nation. Come on, somebody. It's the remains of Trump. It's the remains of Trump that are going to rise up and are going to continue to lead our nation back to God. If you believe that, say amen. The battle is not over. It's just getting warmed up good. Can I get a witness out of somebody? And that's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. And the Lord showed me. He said, you need to quit worrying about the man. You can remove the man, but the anointing remains. And the anointing's not going to go because I haven't lifted it. When I lift it, it's gone. Until I lift it, it's still on the earth. And people will be moved by it and they'll be touched by it and they will walk in it and they will change the direction of our nation. And I'm telling you, I'm hearing from the Lord on this. It's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. But the remains of that powerful anointing that changed the direction of our country has not been lost. The Trump effect is not going to go away. Others are going to be touched. And we're going to see our country continue the, 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 the Make America Great Again movement. There's another way Trump can become president again, and that is if he's resurrected. You say, well, I didn't know he died. Politically, he's dead. I don't care what prophets tell you. Listen, politically, he's dead. But that has to happen. In your life, there are instances in your life where you pass through this same process. Something in you, you really loved, that wanted to do, that you really, you really were pursuing, you get to the place where God has to touch it and bring it to life or it's over. In John chapter 11, verse 45 and 48, it says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, this is after he raised Lazarus from the dead, many of the Jews came to Mary and they had seen the things that Jesus did and they believed in him. And some of them went to the Pharisees and they told them the things that Jesus did. And the chief of priests of the Pharisees gathered a council and he said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like, like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they will take both our place and our nation. They were concerned about the politics you see, in Rome, when they took a country over, they would keep a few figurehead local people in, in propped-up positions just to make the, the occupation a little more palatable to the natives. But the Romans owned those guys, and the Romans told them what to do. And the high priest was one of those guys. And they said, if this continues, and he keeps doing these miracles, the Romans, nobody said, well, it's got to be Messiah uh, the scripture says, he, he, you know, Jesus said, he said, you say the scriptures contain uh, eternal life and you search them all the time and yet I'm in there and you can't find me. How many people's minds are blocked sometimes by religion? Come on, somebody. 
And so he's telling the, he's telling the Caiaphas, he's telling his buddies, we got to do something. And so it was a political spirit that nailed Jesus to the cross. I want you to understand this. It was politics. It was politics that nailed him to the cross. It's a political spirit that has nailed Donald Trump to the cross. It's the same spirit. It's being used by a different generation, but the same enemy. Can I get a witness out of somebody? But on the third day, see, the devil always overplays his hand. You can always count on this. When you're dealing with the devil in your life, the devil will always overplay his hand. And he thinks he's won, but on the third day. When God touches it and resurrects it, now it belongs to him. Now he is the reason that it has life. And if Trump makes it back to the White House, and I think he could, if he does, if he does, it'll only happen by one reason, and that is that God has touched his political life and resurrected it by the Spirit of God. And if that happens, I promise you, you'll find a guy who's very reluctant to get into the flesh because he knows that the flesh profits nothing. But it's the Spirit that has life. There's things in your life that have died to. You've had to die to them things you wanted, relationships you wanted, careers you wanted, children you wanted, and it wasn't happening. And you finally realized somewhere along the way that you were worshiping the thing you wanted instead of the one that could bring it to pass. This is why Abraham, this is why God told Abraham, bring that boy, that boy, your only son, the son that is a miracle baby. When you're 100 years old, you had that son. Bring him up here on top of the mountain. Put him on the altar. Make him an offering to me. Abraham did. Because God wanted to see, are you going to worship the blesser or the blessing? Are you going to worship the blesser? Or are you going to worship the blessing he brings into your life? Because you've got to pass this test before you can really be blessed the way God wants to bless you. And I will, you can write this down. Everybody's going to go through this. And when Abraham drew his knife back, the angel grabbed his arm and said, God's provided a sacrifice It's over there. He proved to God that he could trust him. And then after that, right after that, he said, get up here on this mountain and look around. You own everything you can see because you've proven that you won't worship the blessing. You worship the one that's bringing the blessing in your life. So most things in your life that God really blesses have got to die so he can touch them and resurrect them. And when he resurrects them, he owns them. Amen. Everything has to pass through that process. I'm not trying to discourage you. You got to quit. You got to keep. I remember when Dylan lost that good bay horse that uh, Emily talked about at the uh, reception last night. God, I was in the stall when that horse died with him. And. Uh, Man, it was tough because that horse had done so much. And for Dylan, he had accomplished so much. He was such a great horse. <clears throat> and, uh, and we begged God not to take him. We begged God to heal him. And I know you think that sounds crazy. I prayed for horses for, with drug addicts, for drug addicts that were crippled. And I laid my hands on their stifle joint and anointed and anointed it with oil and prayed and said, God, you created him. You could heal him and have the horse walk away sound as a dollar. So I've seen it before. I've seen God heal 
animals. And so I remember that day, whenever that happened, and how crushed we were and how we thought Dylan's career, this, is, this horse was the center of his career. His horse made him into someone that people all over the country knew. And I thought, is it over? See, see, until you get to that place where you go, is it over? Because if it's over, God, and let me tell you what, Dylan, let me tell you, he went into the Word of God and he studied David. And when David was at Ziklag and David's whole, his family, the village was burned. They stole all of his livestock, stole their families. They stole everything the Amalekites did and took off with them. And David goes, and, he, and even his own men wanted to mutiny against him and said, this is not getting us anywhere. He doesn't even know where he's going. And David went to the Lord. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And he said, God, what next? See, here's the thing. He never said why. He never asked God why. He just said, now what do we do next? See, uh, this is, and in, in in, in Dylan said, the Lord showed me, don't ever ask why. Just say what's next. This is what you do in politics. This is what you do in your personal life. This is what you do as a Christian. When you're at that place of death and resurrection, you don't ever say why. You just say, what next then? Okay, well, if that's dead, then what is it you want me to do? Come on, somebody. And you know the story. God sent him to attack the Malachites, and he recovered all plus some. He recovered everything he had lost plus double the amount because he didn't question God he just said, what do you want me to do next? It's the resurrection principle in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that we might be made alive in the spirit. I just know that if Donald Trump ever has a political office again, his, his, his life will have passed through the process of death and resurrection. But it doesn't make any difference because the anointing is there without the man. You understand what I'm saying? And there'll be others that are going to pick it up. There'll be others that are going to pick it up and carry it. Frank, Frank and Graham is right. If God wants him in there, he'll be in there. I'm a little distraught about the prophets of the office of prophet in our church, in the charismatic church particularly. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. What about these prophets that have been saying this is going to happen? What happens when nothing happens? What happens when nothing happens? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of, the other, of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do we know that it's a word you haven't spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. And the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. Now, there are a lot of guys that have hung themselves completely out on this deal, and I just want to bring up a couple of things. God says the way you judge the accuracy of a prophet is, does it happen? And if it doesn't happen, you don't listen to their prophet anymore. There are two things I think that we're in the midst of. There are some house cleaning in the prophets of prophets. But here's the other thing about prophecy. Most people miscalibrate the time. Most people, I did this. Tony Kemp's the one that told me. When I got the vision, the Healand vision, and I got so discouraged because it wasn't manifesting, and I'm praying, and it's dry, and nobody, you know, it just wasn't nothing I saw was happening. And Tony Kemp said, you made the same mistake that Joshua, that Joseph made. 
I said, what mistake was that? I didn't go around to my brothers bragging about it. He said, no, no, no. Joseph thought it was for right now, and so did you. You thought it was for right now. That doesn't mean that the vision is invalid. What it means is, is that it has to occur over a period of time. There are things that have to happen to bring it to pass, and I think we're on the very cusp of that. If you agree with me, say amen. I think we're on the very edge of an awakening in the heel and vision. I think the migration that we saw in the vision from the populated centers of America into the rural lands is happening right now. I think we're seeing it begin to happen, and I'm more excited now. But I've waited for 20 years, I guess. How many years has it been? Lord, I don't know. I had black hair then. No, wait a minute. I've never had black hair. I was born gray-headed. But I'll guarantee you it's been a long wait. But see, 20 years, how long is 20 years to a God who lives in an eternal realm where there is no clocks? It's nothing. It's nothing. A hundred years, he called Cyrus' name out a hundred years before the guy was even born. And then when he got, and it was strategic and it was important. But the timeline, see, we, get, we think it has to happen right now. It's going to happen later. It's going to happen when the Lord says the timers are right. But we have this problem in our church, and this is what the Lord showed me also in Jeremiah 23, 11, says we have, we have both prophet and priest that are profane. Yes, in my house, there's sin in my own house. Before, we're going to have a party here. We're going to have the greatest outpouring in the history of the church, and we're on the very beginning of that, where the Spirit of God begins to pour himself out, and we begin to see healings, and we begin to see miracles and manifestations, and people start coming because they're looking for shalom. They're looking for peace. And we're going to have that movement is going to begin. But before I have a party in my house, I generally have to clean it. No, let me correct it. Carol has to clean it. With me, I really don't care. She said, no, you ain't having them come over here until I clean the house. And I think there's a house cleaning. The shaking that we've been talking about for four years that happened, amen, the shaking the Lord told us was coming that has happened, the shaking was designed to shake everything that can be shaken, and I, and, and I think there's a cleaning going on in the prophetic wing of the charismatic church. There are some guys that are probably not going to be here. Some of these guys, I wanted to just say this, some of these guys I have immense, immense, immense just respect for, like Dutch Sheets, and, and I, I, I'm grieved because I see the pressure that's on him. When he's on television, you, just, you can just see the, the pressure that's on him. And I, can I say about that brother, I love that guy. I know he loves God. If he was in the flesh when he did this prophecy and it's not come to pass, I'm going to love him anyway because I know the brother. Come on, somebody. He's got grace for me. But, but my point is, is, that, is, that, is that we have to get accurate with our prophetic thing. And has to be, we either have a bad time calibration or it's not going to happen the way we expect or, or we can believe it or whatever. But I want to tell you something. I, I thought about this a lot. My spiritual mentor, Brother Jim, he wasn't big on prophets. And I had uh, Chuck Pierce. He's always been somebody that I follow a lot. How many of you have heard Chuck Pierce's prophecy on the Zion Conference in, at Trinity? You need to listen to it. Man, it's good. Really encouraging. And so he would prophesy something, and I would be talking to Jim and on the phone, and I would say, you know, he's, he's good, Jim. And I said, this is, this is what he says. And, and I said, what do you think of that? And he goes, we'll see. I said, yeah, but I mean, don't we have to join with faith and partner? He said, we just wait and see. His overall deal was, here's what he used to tell me. If it's God's will, God's will is immutable. It means it can't be stopped. 
if it's God's will, whether you have faith in it. I'm not telling you this is what I believe. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this question in my, own, in my own spiritual life right now. But my spiritual mentor said, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. There's nothing you can do to stop it, and there's nothing you can do to change it. It's going to happen. And if it happens, you don't have to have the ones that have faith in it that he spoke directly to that, that received that word by faith. It's going to prosper them. But the rest of us are spectators, and all we got to do is watch and see if it happens. Now, I don't know whether, that's, I, don't know whether I, I agree with all of that or not, but I'm telling you that was his attitude because he had heard so many false prophecies in his career, in his 60-year-long career as a minister. He had seen some real weirdos. Now, these guys are not weirdos. They're, they're awesome. But, but we're going to have to clean that up a little bit. And we have this open letter from Jeremiah Johnson, who I never had confidence in. He was too young. I didn't see spiritual maturation. Uh, I didn't see the principles of spiritual authority in his ministry. Now, let me tell you what I've learned from the prophets that I have hung out with. If they're not submitted, they're not accurate. If they're not submitted to spiritual authority, prophets have a tendency to be kind of out there on their own. They like to kind of, they're lone rangers. They like to be lone rangers. I want to tell you something about the body of Christ. There are no lone rangers. There are no, everybody is submitted to somebody who's submitted to somebody who's submitted to somebody. That's the way it works. That's the way the authority flows. It flows from Jesus to the apostles, down to the ones under them, to the ones under them, and it flows down. And everyone is submitted to someone in the sense that they have a spiritual authority who gives them oversight. I have a spiritual oversight here. These two guys have been wondering what the heck I've been doing with all this money that's been going into this thing out here. And I want them, I turn the sound system on, and they go, oh, man, that was, that was cheap. I don't care what that cost. That was cheap. So you just got to know how to play them a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But... But you have to have someone you're accountable to, and too many prophets do not. And so I think that we're going to see kind of a weeding out uh, of some of these guys that, that are not submitted to spiritual authority. And Jeremiah Johnson repented. He asked for forgiveness. He has an open letter on his Facebook page. You can go read it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but he is submitted to some elders in a church. There's another thing Brother Joe Rowe used to tell me all the time. These guys are never connected to a church. Have you ever noticed that? He said, the prophets that I like to listen to are connected to a body of Christ somewhere. They're part of a body of Christ somewhere. That's for what it's worth. So we have some things that we have to kind of work through. And if God's will has been usurped by fraud, I want you to understand this. If God's will has been usurped by fraud, he will take care of it. Ask Pharaoh. How did it work for him to resist God's will? Not very good, amen? But it took a while. You know, the plagues actually took many years. Do you understand that? I think we think they happened in one week. They took years for the plagues to all happen. And so God finally taught Pharaoh, who was really in charge. If someone has usurped God's will through fraud in the elections, God's going to take care of that. I'm going to try to spend no, no I, got, I got bigger problems. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I got, just to get to finish the fellowship hall, I got, I got things I got to do. I've, I haven't got time to sit around and worry about who stole who from what. But I am not surprised that somebody stole something from somebody. I mean, amen. Can I get a witness on that? Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves the Lord and the one who does not. All I care about is being in that book of remembrance. The remnant, he told us, he said it would go well with you. Remember when he told you, I'm going to shake everything, including the church? I'm going to shake everything. But he said, you tell the remnant it shall go well with them. You're operating in a different reality than the rest of the world is. 
You think that's crazy, but it's not. Economies in certain parts of the country are going the wrong way. In our part of the country, the economy is increasing. In other parts of the that's all the hand of God. If you believe that, say amen. Tell the remnant it'll go well with them. This is not the first time the church has had to confront cultural decadence either. St. Benedict was so depressed with the decadence in Rome that he moved out of Rome and found a place out in the mountains and he, and he moved into a cave out there and he said, I would rather live out here in a cave by myself with me and God than be around all of this homosexual, all this other stuff that's going on all the time. I would rather be just living for God out here by myself and not be confronted with all this evil and all this decadence every day. And so he moved out there to get away from all of that and stayed out there. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? People started bringing him people. Hey, I heard that you could heal the sick. Who'd you hear that from? Oh, this guy in Rome, he said, if I would take my cousin to you who's got uh, leprosy, that if you, if you prayed for him, and, and he said, look, just leave me alone. And the guy would come back the next day, and he would come back the next day. And, he, and his place was so hard to find, he had to go up a trail to get up to the top of the cave. He wanted to be left alone. But see, when you have the anointing, they're going to find you. No matter where you go, they're going to find you. Who's going to find you? The people that are broken. The people that need healing. The people that need help. They're going to find you. And they brought the guy up there, and he prayed for him, and he got healed. He said, now, don't tell nobody. Well, guess what happened? Jesus tried that too. Next time, there's five guys, then six, then seven. Now they all know the path. Now they got a path beat out to his cave. And everybody, it's like a highway now. Everybody's going and coming for ministry. He finally says, i got to have some help. So he starts to train disciples and make disciples, and he, and he started the monastic movement. He began, he built a monastery finally where those guys, i got to keep you out of the world. So I don't agree with all of this, but he said, i got to keep you out of the world, but, you know, we got to be where we can pray for people and, and all of that. And here's the thing. Rome died because of its decadence, but the church, the church began to be the light and the force on the European continent again because of a group of men that said, I'm not going to live like them. I'm going to live the way God's called me to live. And if i got to live in a cave to do that, that's what I'm willing to do. And he had an enormous impact on the history of Europe, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to. He just wanted to live for God. I'm going to tell you a little secret. If you make up your mind today that you just want to live for God and quit worrying about politics and politicians and who voted for what and who stole what and whatever and just say, I just want to live in this mess that man has created. I just want to live for God. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to start bringing you the sick to pray for. They're going to start bringing you the broken people. The Lord told us in his vision, he said, he said in this place, you remember that? Remember that part of that? I'm going to shake everything that could be shaken. And he said, the silver and gold is mine. It's coming back into my house. And he said, in this place, and the, the glory of the latter temple will exceed that of the, of, the, of the former. The anointing on the church in this age we're moving into is going to be greater than when the apostles were alive. That's his promise. That's what he said. Who's coming? Those that need peace. They're looking for peace. They trusted the government and let them down. They put their faith in politicians. They got their heart broke. They decided that they could 
live any way they wanted to, and they're depressed, and they're suicidal, and they're wounded. Their souls are wounded. And you know where they're going to come? They're going to come to you. They're going to come to you. Wherever you are, you can't hide. They're going to start coming. And when they come, you're going to put them, your hands on them, and they're going to be healed, and they're going to be in a community where there is peace. Sometimes before the light can become bright, the darkness has got to increase. So the contrast is greater. Let the darkness increase if it will bring the revival to the church. Can I get a witness out of somebody? I'm ready. I'm ready. So I just want to say this in summary. Remember what the Lord showed you about Second Chronicles 20. They've, they've made an unholy alliance, and that's all going to take care of itself. Hold your position. God says the battle is mine. Don't you worry about that. Be militant in the spiritual realm, but be a pacifist in the flesh. It ain't going to do no good to go bomb somebody. It's not going to do any good to break the windows out of a building. It's not gonna, that's not going to solve anything. But prayer and fasting and a determination to live the way God's called you to live, that's what will help. The Trump effect's not over. Others are going to pick it up. This country's not done. America's not finished. America's not finished. You believe that? America's not finished. God is still on the throne, and he's working. And judgment has come to the godless. But in the healed land, we're going to have an immunity from judgment. Goshen did not experience the plagues on Egypt. And we're going to prosper and continue to be blessed and we'll continue to be a place where people can come and be healed. Get your name in the book of remembrance. Get your name in the book of remembrance. Watch how you talk to each other. Encourage each other. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together so you can be an encouragement to one another. Don't talk about politics. You don't have any control over it anyhow. That's exclusively the realm of the devil. I believe that. Now, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm saying this is my opinion. It's exclusively the realm of the enemy. I don't want to be involved in politics because politics cannot save me. It can't change the direction of my... I want to be involved in the spiritual realm of the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's my position. So what now? So what we do now is we get to work. And what do we get to work doing? Making sure that we're living the way God called us to live. I want the anointing. I don't want votes. I want the anointing. And the anointing comes to those that love everybody. The anointing comes to those that refuse to live like the everybody else is living, that they sanctify marriage, they sanctify life, they sanctify the Lord, they sanctify the church as holy. You guys got it in you. You guys can be a better witness than any, you guys can be a better witness than Billy Graham. You have been there on the other side of the fence, just like me. You know what it's like. Paul said, you remember what it's like to walk in darkness because you did one time. Amen? I can say that. He can say that about me. Be a light. Be a light. And let them come to us. They're going to come. They're going to come. They're going to come. They're coming already. They're coming already. My sister passed away right three days before Christmas. She had a kidney infection and she was in New York you could see some New Jersey actually but you could see the World Trade Center from her house and the plague broke out there with such an intensity and they were doing all kinds of stupid things that that's but that's on them it's not I ain't worried about that like you know putting positive patients in rest homes and 
I think they were all trying to figure out how to handle it. And she refused to go to the hospital because she was scared. She was scared of the effects of the plague in her life. I want to tell you something right now. If you don't break this fear of this COVID virus, you get that off of you right now. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Listen, you can't live like that. You can't live, and the enemy will take you places you don't want to go if he can get you to, and this is what happened to her. She refused to go to the hospital, and this infection got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse until they had to carry her out of there unconscious in an ambulance, and she went to the hospital, and they told my brother-in-law she ain't going to live, she's not going to live a month. And he called me in tears, and we prayed, and I believe God, and, and God, and she got better. And he told her, he said, she wants to go back to Texas. She wants to go back home. And the doctor said, she ain't ever going to go back to Texas. I can tell you that. And by God, she did. She got stronger, and she got stronger, and we kept praying for her, and she kept getting better and better and better. And then she got out here, and I don't, it just, it just, the same effect. The hospitals were so overrun with, with what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? I think they were having a hard time dealing with people with real problems. I don't know, I, but it was a mess. And anyway, she went home. She passed home and went home to be with the Lord. Here's what I'm trying to tell you in all of this. If she had refused to be afraid of COVID from the beginning and said, I'm going to go to the hospital because I need a shot. Come on. I think she'd still be here. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound mind. Amen. I prayed for you last week, and you were up there. You're fearless. You've been there before, haven't you? Fear won't get you out of it either, will it? It takes faith to get through that, doesn't it? If we'll refuse to be moved by fear and just say, we're just going to believe God, we don't care about the politics. We don't care what's happening. We know God is still on the throne, and we know he's working, and we just want to help him. Come on, somebody. I want to pray with you. I'm just telling you, he's listening what we're saying to each other. I want my book in the remember. Did you hear what Roger and Guy were talking about? St. Peter. Did you hear what they were talking about before? Oh, there's crazy. They talk like that all the time anyway. That's why I got them in the book of remembrance because I love that. I love it when they have faith. I love it when they refuse to be moved by what they see. I love it when they refuse to be moved Even when they're spending time in the graveyard doing funerals, they still believe in life. They still believe in the Word of God. They still know God is working. He's not going anywhere. He's going to get us through this. And we're going to see the greatest revival in the history of the church. We've got to start thinking that way. We got to start expecting revival. Amen. We got to start expecting breakthrough. We got to start expecting, and we've got to quit putting our faith and hope in politics. Let God take care of them.